And I'm going to get as much of this out of the way. So I, I unfortunately, I, I have hard shell tacos for dinner. So <laughs> That's a great dinner the, for a podcast night. I'm going to get yeah, as right much of this of out of the way during the cold open as possible. I'm just going to use that as the cold open. Just Josh crunching yeah. for 30 seconds. Get more into the mic when you're doing it. Now, we're not, like when you bite into the taco, like you got to get in the mic. I still heard a that. pretty good crunch from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's the sound we want. AM, ASMR that shit. <laughs> All right, everybody quiet. He's going in again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, Did you put taco you... sauce on that? Because without fire sauce, I don't know what you're doing. Not fire sauce, but we have, there's like a taco ranch sauce that one of the condiment companies makes that we've been buying for a couple of years. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, we really got to juxtapose or mash up those those things together, talking about taco eating and crunching and Brian's declaration of, all right, everyone be quiet. He's going in again. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> no, I feel like I can't eat. You guys are so weird. <laughs> I'm going to turn my camera. Just after I did all this work, I'm going to turn the camera off for the next five minutes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Even better, just black screen and we just hear you crunching. That's yeah, all we need. We don't need to see That's it. That's all we need. <laughs> let us let us imagine what's happening. It'll be like the uh, the after credit scene in Avengers with the shawarma. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bright Guy and the Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick. Joining me for this episode is Andy No Notes Stoles. What's up, podcast people? I have no notes. Next up, when he's unable to cast Ava Kadavra, he resorts to killing people with a garden hose, Josh Zorch. Seems pretty par for the course. Next up, if you see this nickname, we're going to see if this nickname sticks, but around here we might just call him Atomic Braps, Mike Bradley. Atomic what? Braps. Braps! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I didn't have to leave the call, so it's good enough. <laughs> uh, and finally, our very own Satchel, because I still have no idea whose side he's on. Ian Leidick. One who deceives will always find those who allow themselves to be seized. What? Do you want to try that again? <laughs> no, I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> We'll listen to it in playback. We force everyone to listen to the podcast afterwards to see what he just said there. That came through crystal clear. I just listened. To it. <laughs> uh, all right. So top of the show, I've been trying to give everybody a better chance at uh, plugging anything that they want to uh, have coming up or have going on before we jump into the episode on the whole. Uh, so just going around the horn, Andy, anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Druid 79. T H E D R E W I D seven nine. Uh, Josh, anything to plug? No. Okay. Mike, anything to plug? Yeah, you can find me in the chat of uh, twitch.tv slash partybone in the party bone zone uh, a couple nights a week. Um, I'm in the chat there. You can talk to me. It's awesome. Um, I am definitely the highlight there. Getting to converse with me is amazing. So stop in and do that. Um, and then hop out and go follow Rare Achievements. Um, and then just come back and chat with me in there. 
and it'll be all good. Yeah, don't chat with him on his own stream. Chat with him on another stream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian, anything? Got to go where the viewers are. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sir Partybone. That's Sir with an I, and I'm on Twitch.tv forward slash Partybone, where the elf known as Partybone, who is not me, for he is from Elftopia, and he's always playing video games. He's mostly playing worse, and he plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, never. But Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7 p.m. Easter, that is where you can find him. And he might be banning someone from the chat at this point. <laughs> Come check out and see if that happens. Well, uh, shit happens. As far as uh, other stuff for where you can find me, I'm on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, all Jedi Bry Guy. Uh, if you want to find me on the socials and all that stuff. Um, all the You on Facebook Gaming? No, I never, I never made the leap to Facebook gaming. I would have stuck to Mixer, but not, I'm not going to Facebook gaming. And that's Jedi with an I and Bry with a Y, correct? Correct. Yes. Thank you. Okay. There you go. Just to help us. I know that's can't it's spell. got a nice ring to it. I should keep bringing that back every time too. Oh I'll my god! Do you spell your name with a Y? It's so hot. I, I do. Oh, I remember, <laughs> that, that is an inside joke between Andy and I <laughs> from way back when. Way back. <laughs> well, now it's an yeah, outside joke among all of us. Yeah, no, there was literally a girl that that's what she told me. <laughs> literally. Yeah. It's so hot for that I spelled bit, my name was with a Y. During like that yeah. era of people saying that's hot or something? Or yeah. Was... yeah, so that's how oh, long okay. ago it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping it was more recent because it would just make less sense, but I mean, mm -hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. Did you reply, man's not hot? Sure. I... That's, a, that's a popular song. <laughs> Get up with the culture, <laughs> fucking boomers. <laughs> uh, all right, so on tap for this episode, uh, obviously we're doing another Rewind Theater if you made it this far. But if you are new to this series, uh, we are basically using this as an excuse to go back, revisit some old comic book movies that we either haven't seen or haven't seen for a while. We curated a pretty expansive list of movies to watch, so to take some of the pressure off of us, we leave it up to the Wheel of Fate. Wheel of Fate! to pick what movie we're watching next. Nailed it. Uh, the wheel always consists of two franchises and four standalone movies at a time. So at the end of the episode, we will spin the wheel to see what we got next. Uh, at the end of our last Rewind Theater episode for Watchmen, the wheel landed on 2017's Atomic Blonde, which is what we are talking about today. Um, on the last few episodes of Rewind Theater, we've changed up the format a bit. So, I mean, if you're new to this, you don't realize we changed it up. But if you've been here since the beginning, uh, this is our 10th episode, so we... Somewhere around seven, I think, uh, seven or eight episodes in, we decided to change it up a bit. Um, so we start. We're going to start with trying to go through some of the comic book history for the movie we're on, since they're all based on comic books or graphic novels of some sort. Um, after that, we'll talk about some of the people that were involved in transitioning that property into a movie. We'll go over budgets, box office ratings. Um, if it's a first time watch or rewatch for all of us, uh, at that point, I'll probably throw out the spoiler alert. We'll do sixty second summary. Then we'll deep dive into the movie with the five categories we have going. Directing, characters and actors, story, soundtrack, special effects, and explosions. We give ourselves ten minutes for each of those topics just to try to keep us on track. And then once we get through all that, we'll get to the uh, rating at the end of the movie, sort of what we give it. See, And then uh, try to ask each other, too, if it if it holds up. You know, the movie's only four years old, but we'll, we're going to ask it anyway. Uh, and then after all that, we finally, again, end with Wheel of Fate to figure out what we're watching on the next Rewind Theater so we know what to prepare for, hopefully two weeks from now. So, starting with the comic book background, which is where Josh tries to lead us in, uh, he's going to take us to school 
and teach us a little bit something about the comic book. All right. Welcome to class, everybody. There's uh, actually not a whole lot, unfortunately, to share about the uh, the background of the, the book, um, unlike some of the other uh, movies we've watched that been, you know, based on properties, um, you know, like Watchmen comes to mind, obviously that came out in the eighties movies, not made till 2009. Um, both these, uh, both the source material and this movie are fairly new, um, but definitely still some there that we can learn about. So the movie atomic blonde itself is based on a 2012 graphic novel that is called the coldest city. Uh, it's, written by British writer Anthony Johnston, uh, who's also the author of the Wasteland series some people might be familiar with, uh, and is illustrated by Sam Hart. Uh, I have personally not yet been able uh, to read the, the book. I did try to get it before uh, we hit this episode, but I w was unable to find it anywhere in time. But from what I've seen from online images, um, if anyone has ever read uh, the actual Sin City series of books by Frank Miller. Um, it's a basically same kind of artistic style. It's just black and white, um, you know, inks there to tell the story. I don't believe any of the book is really in color. Um, and after seeing the movie and and then kind of finding that out in the research, um, I think it, I think that's, I don't know if that's a deliberate choice or not, but it actually, I find myself realizing that fits the style uh, quite a bit, kind of gives it more of a noir uh, aesthetic to me. So, uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't um, realize that either. So now that you said that, that makes a lot of sense for tone of the movie and what they were going for. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I am going to try, uh, eventually to, uh, to get to that, um, for, uh, you know, and for the reason I'm about to, to also tell you, not just for, you know, expanding horizons anyway, but, uh, there was a sequel published in 2016 called the coldest winter, um, which is potentially also in film development. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's take half a step back and, and talk very quickly about just like source to movie transition. Uh, a few years prior to publication in 2012, uh, Charlize Theron's production company, which is called Denver and Delilah Productions, were sent uh, an unfinished version of the copy, you know, a draft copy that was getting close to publication, but was still getting finalized. Uh, by that point, Charlize per uh, personally had actually become quite impressed with the uh the john wick movie when it first came out so once uh her company had become aware of the coldest cities publication and remembered that and then saw what john you know a film like john wick could become that led them to think that there's a, a good possibility to marry the two um which led her to david leitch who was uh for all intents and purposes, a co-director, but is technically, I believe, an uncredited co-director of the first John Wick film. Um, he has an extensive stunt and stunt action choreography and second unit directing background. And uh, so if I remember, I think Atomic Blonde was, I, I think, his first actual full solo main director gig. Um, but he had such a, a good background in the industry and those things that, uh, you know, he she felt he knew exactly how to bring this kind of pro property, you know, to the screen. So I bring all that up to say that the sequel that might be in development um, in April of 2020, the website DiscussingFilm.net 
reported that a sequel was in early development with Netflix. Uh, Charlize Theron will probably uh, continue to act as a producer, as she did on this uh, this first film. And I would just like to throw out that this was sandwiched in the middle of her now three uh, occasions in which she has taken on a comic book property. Uh, the first was 2005's Aeon Flux, and then Atomic Blonde hits in 2017, and then just in 2020, The Old Guard uh, hit Netflix as well. So she has both a history of producing comic book-based properties with Netflix, and obviously now is coming from experience making Atomic Blonde movies, um, so potentially you know, in the next two to three years, maybe we will be lucky enough to see a sequel based on The Coldest Winter. Is the old guard comic book movie? I don't think I realized that. Yes, it was actually. Uh, so, so that and another film called Whiteout were written by the same author, and those are both on the whatever we've been calling it—the potential or extensive wheel, e- extensive wheel of fate. Yes, um, as I believe, Aeon Flux probably should be at least two. So, all three of those um, could be coming up uh, at some point in on a future episode of Rewind. Yeah, I forgot she was in the Unflux. Mm-hmm. I forgot that came out. And it, I know it doesn't have anything to do with comic books, but she was in a superhero-esque movie as well with Will Smith. Hancock. Hancock, that's, that is true. Hancock's I, a good fucking movie. It is a good movie. I don't know that it was based on a comic book, but it definitely has that superhero vibe. Yeah, if it, if it was, I dropped the ball in putting the initial wheel together, so we'll find out and remedy that if need be, but... <laughs> Regardless, hey, free plug for Hancock. Yeah, I mean, if we have to add it to the wheel, no one will ever know it was never there to begin with. We'll just (laughs) silently put it in after the fact. Until we just admitted it. I'll cut this all out. It's fine. (laughs) Currently, it's either on the wheel or it's not. We don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right, so transitioning from comic book to the film. So who brought it together for the film? Uh, Josh already mentioned David Leitch is the director. Stunt Stunt coordinator turned director. Uh, as Josh mentioned, his, one of his first gigs was John Wick, co-directed with Chad Stahelski. Um, I, and I looked that up too. I was almost positive that he was listed as co-director with that, but everything on like IMDb says he's uncredited for John Wick 1, which I could have sworn in the promotion they were both talking about how they directed it together. So I don't know why he's uncredited for the movie. I, I thought I recall that too. I don't know what changed over seven, you know six or seven years. Yeah, so I don't know. But from there, he did Atomic Blonde. He did Deadpool 2. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw was another noticeable one that he did. He also apparently, I didn't realize this until looking at the IMDb, but there was the tie-in song from Celine Dion for Deadpool 2. Apparently, he directed a music video for that. So, <laughs> nice. you know, there's there's that. Um, one that he's actually in pre-production on that I'm actually really excited about and have had my eyes on. He's attached to direct The Division for Netflix, which is based on the Ubisoft video game franchise and stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain, are still attached to that. I don't know when that movie's coming. It's just listed as pre-production, and I'm sure with everything else going on, it got delayed, but I'm looking forward to that. I think that should be cool. Um, Screenplay for this movie was written by Kurt Johnstead, uh, who doesn't have a lot of writing credits, but also wrote 300 and 300 Rise of an Empire. So he's got a little bit of comic background there. Uh, the, and he's also worked with a legend, that means. That, yeah, it's true. He's got some Zack Snyder ties. <laughs> See, we're segueing right in from Watchmen. It all makes sense. 
the movie stars Charlize Theron, James McVoy, Sophia Botella, John Goodman, Toby Jones, and one of the Scars guards. It's, it's Bill this time. Um, cast is pretty good. Any guesses on film's budget? And I, Josh, Josh and I talked beforehand. At doing his research, he came across budget and worldwide box office. So we are removing Josh from the guesses for this. I am abstaining. So the other three. Any guesses on the film's budget? For four years ago, 2017. 70 million. 100. We got a 70? 100? 40. Ian's pretty damn close. Thirty million. Oh wow! Is the budget, hmm. which I think is actually a lot cheaper than I thought, es- especially given well, the I'll... talent. There's, there's, there's yeah. a lot Shirley going on. Theron yeah. is probably free, since it's her production company. I, yeah, I don't know how that works. I think she'd have to get paid at some point. Yeah, but I mean, well, she yeah, but it might not go into the budget. Well, true. Okay, true. Um, all right. So from thirty million dollar budget. Worldwide box office. What do you think we we got out of Atomic Blonde? Two eighty nine. One ten. Two eighty nine. One ten. Ian. Ninety five. <laughs> Mike was close. Ian got closer. Hundred million. Yeah. Hundred million. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Mike was off. off by ten. Ian beat you by five. I'm terrible at the prices, right? <laughs> <laughs> This is the one time I've done well on this, <laughs> except for Watchmen when I correctly predicted three trillion for a worldwide. <laughs> That's true. It still holds the record. Nobody's <laughs> touching it. That's not even adjusted for inflation at this point. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm guessing one million from here on out. <laughs> Price is right all the way. <laughs> Wait for Swamp Thing too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might be you might be highballing it at a million. Right. <laughs> Actually, it's seven eighty thousand. Fuck. <laughs> you might be highballing. They had to buy a new swamp boat. <laughs> Those are the expensive part of the movie. More swamp boats. Everything else is just the footage from the first movie. <laughs> Cut in a different way. They just put it in a different sequence, hoping you don't really pay attention. Be like, if two swamp boats explode, they'll never know it's the same film. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, out of the hundred million it made worldwide, it was split pretty evenly domestic, domestic and international. Fifty-two million domestic, forty-eight million international. So that's pretty right down the middle. I found. I don't know, is anyone else different? Like I initially, when I saw that, I I was surprised it was so low. Just because I, I think my I think like Andy, I would have thought it would have been at at least quite a bit higher. But then I had another reaction, which was you know I don't know if the marketing really did well for the movie and I, I it didn't have a whole lot of buzz around it after it came out so then that sort of made sense to me when i stopped to think about it again but did, did that like when brian just told everyone it was 100 million did that shake anyone or does that now that you're hearing it does that sound about right i mean i thought it was 289 so i thought it was low <laughs> yeah. uh, but not but you're right josh now that i think about it like when i told jess that that's the movie that we were going to be watching she's like I don't know what that is. <laughs> so yeah, they and it was only four years ago. Yeah, they obviously didn't market it that well. Because I knew with it too, because it had like it was also a female action-led movie, and I knew it made less than Ghost in the Shell. And Ghost in the Shell only did like one seventy, I think. Oof! Oh wow! Of course, the budget but for their that, budget I think, was, had to be a lot bigger, right? It was like uh, over a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the budget was much higher. Yeah. 
I mean, it, I, I wouldn't say surprised, obviously. I guessed at 110. And for me, that's because you've got an R-rated action movie with somebody who is not really known as an action star. And nobody along for the ride that is known for an action star. You know what I mean? Like, James McAvoy is not known to be an action star. Sophia Boutella is not known to be an action... Like, you just don't... So you have, like, this, you know, really good name with David Leitch, who really hadn't taken off yet attached to it, so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it... And it was trying to cash in. Like, I remember the trailer. It was trying to cash in off of John Wick. Oh, like, yeah. The trailer made me think, oh, this is female John Wick. Right. Yeah. But no offense to Charlize Theron, she's not Keanu Reeves. I mean, at that time... Yeah, she has a personality and can act. Oh. Yeah, but no, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about in terms of box office draw and in terms of, at that time, Keanu was probably, a, like, red hot coming off of John Wick. Well, and yeah, John got... Wick 2 was actually a couple of months prior to this, too. So, yeah, he... he yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, it's... It was a tough movie to sell, I think. Agreed. I mean, she's coming off of, like, um, Mad Max, though, and that made a shit ton. Yeah. Yeah, because she, she was awesome in that. And she was an action role in that, too. Like, it's not like she didn't have the bank ability at that point. You're talking about the lady who was kind of the lead in making the new greatest Mad Max movie of all time. Yeah, but did and Mad she's Max... she's, like, award-nominated, too, like, Academy like, Award-nominated yeah. and stuff, yeah. too. Well, I, no, no, I, I, I get that, but I'm saying, like, did Mad Max do gangbusters at the box office? It killed, didn't it? I thought it made a shit ton of money. 376 worldwide. What, what worldwide? 376 million. Oh, that's actually less than I expected. For a movie that won Best Picture and, it did not and, and all picture. that. I mean, for, for a being film as winning awesome Best as Picture, it is. yeah. I mean, outside of Lord of the Rings, Best Pictures don't make gangbusters. It did not win I, Best I understand. You're talking, you I, you probably didn't watch or listen to like the top ten of the decade. That movie's my number one of the decade. I, I'm aware. No, I did not listen. <laughs> I, but I'm saying like I, I'm aware like it it's there but it's not it's not the same film like it's not like they're not even the same genre. Well, I think something that you guys mentioned I I already though I think can explain why it happened is they were anchoring the marketing too much to make you feel like hey hey you guys have been loving those John Wick things you love Charlize Theron what if Charlize Theron was John Wick? Yes. And I'm going to spin that into maybe a different part of a discussion I know we're going to get to anyway, which is sort of my first impression. So th th this was a rewatch for me. And my first impression when I first saw the movie was, oh, so this had action uh, uh, approached and choreographed with John Wick style in mind. But the story is nothing like it. Yeah. And because of that, they were leaning into selling it of think of John Wick, think of John Wick, Charlie Theron, Charlie Theron is John Wick. Think of John Wick, come see Charlie Theron be John Wick. So because of that, I think they didn't sell it in terms of what the story could have been. And so therefore it, it felt like weaker marketing and was a bit more forgettable at the time. Yeah. And it should have been marketed as come see this Ethan Hunt. She she's more Ethan Hunt than she is John Wick, so they could have sold it more the way they sell a Mission Impossible movie and probably did better. 
Yeah, I think, I and think been that's more probably accurate. a good point. I think the the marketing was all she's an assassin like John Wick, and no, she's a spy. So there's a the you're going in thinking I want John Wick, and it's not a John Wick movie. No. Um, all right, so for critic ratings and all that stuff, Rotten Tomatoes right now, critic rating seventy eight percent, audience rating sixty four percent. So they're they're similar. They're close. Uh, Metacritic is at 63, user score is at 6.7, so they are also pretty close. It might be the closest I think we've seen Metacritic scores, 63 and 6.7. Yeah. Um, so how do you guys feel about the scores? Agree, disagree? They're fine. Mostly agree. Yeah, yeah they're, mostly they're agree, in the vicin- they're, they're in the vicinity, yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh already mentioned it's a rewatch for him. Uh, Mike, first viewing or rewatch? Rewatch. Andy? Uh, this is a first. Ian? Rewatch. Rewatch? Correct. Okay. Yeah, this is a rewatch for me. So Andy's our, our atomic blonde virgin for this one. We're never going to all have seen these movies. Th- you think? I feel like th- we've got to it's, somewhere. It's going to take them, until right? the first MCU. That's Wait, gonna we be we the had all one. seen the Turtles, hadn't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when she <laughs> says so dismissively. Just... <sighs> Remember how much that sucked? Do. Oh, don't e- no, don't even go down a rabbit hole. No. <laughs> like none of those jokes. That is going to be the goal of, re- there of was the entire run of rewind movie. theater is to not bring up Ninja Turtles so that Ian can shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Turtles two one is going to be very interesting. I think <laughs> we'll never see it. <laughs> Wheels uh, landing right, so, on it tonight now. You yeah, know, you just jinxed it. It's coming. Uh, all right, so I think it's the time of the show where we will get into the discussion portion. And since we'll be discussing everything in the movie, I'm going to throw out the spoiler alert. So if you have not seen Atomic Blonde and do not want to be spoiled, pause us now, come back to us after watching the movie. If you'd rather just keep listening, see what we go over, and uh, if you'd rather want to check out the 60-second uh, summary we got going on, uh, you can keep listening. Uh, last call for spoilers. Spoiler! You know, something like that. Alright, so with our new format, it seems like a good way to kick off being into the spoiler section is to give us the 60-second summary. So if you've listened to the past few episodes, we've done this. Ian has taken the last few 60-second summaries and gone above and beyond what we ever really thought that little bit would be. Um, Mike has volunteered for this one. I hear this will be a lot shorter than 67, 60 seconds. Uh I could draw it out. I could really (laughs) overplay it and draw it out if you want. And maybe we can see how many times you can get through it in 60 seconds. (laughs) No, because that's asking me a speed talk, and that's not. Either way. Who do you think he is, the Micro Machines guy? Yeah. (laughs) 60 seconds on the clock. Go for it. So to take up some of these 60 seconds, I'm going to explain first that I made a haiku for this, and this is what this is going to be. So a haiku, if you don't know, is a short poem uh that is consisting of five syllables on the first line seven syllables on the second line and five syllables on the third line so we're gonna get this whole movie in on that here we go satchel who are they triple agent well played girl fucking love berlin and that's the summary 32 seconds not bad that is not bad (laughs) <laughs> Josh like, is still digesting. The, yeah, like the words are going through my head, and I'm thinking about it, like that, that. That's 
like, again, you'd have to have already like kind of known the story for it, for the meaning to sink in and whatnot. But that, that that's pretty good. Well, I mean, we're in the spoiler section, so we're assuming people that are listening. This now is have true. Seen it or don't care. This is true. So nice job. Kudos. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Haiku ready, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's like, when it's my turn, I ain't doing shit. I'm reading you <laughs> 60 seconds of something. Now, Andy's got to do the Micro Machines thing now, right? Oh, yeah. That's because I can do that. Yeah. Micro Machines guy. What about my entire backlog of podcasts? <laughs> makes you think no, the best, the best of, of this is going to be... That cold open where you did the Micro Machines thing. <laughs> yeah, that was not edited whatsoever. There were no effects laid in there at all. It was just Andy Zero. talking yeah, very high. I was there when we recorded it. <laughs> I don't even remember that. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite cold open. It's probably not even available anywhere. It's like it's pre. It's before fifty. I think I feel. I feel like we did that before fifty. So that's got to be like gone on the the rotation. Oh, I see. After my, I might just have to re-upload that episode just to get that beginning back in because that's still (laughs) one of my favorite openings. Just pull it and use it again. Just take that and make it a cold open again. Yeah, for one, yeah, for one that we suck at the beginning for the for the preamble, we'll just <laughs> repurpose the old one. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna get into our topics. We got our five topics: direction, story, characters and actors, uh, soundtrack, and special effects and explosions. Uh, we're gonna get ten minutes on the clock for each of those topics. Any volunteers for where we want to start? Josh, where would you like to go first? Soundtrack. And score. All right. Soundtrack it is. You're on the clock. Go for it. This is how you freaking do a soundtrack <laughs> when you set something in historical times of the 1980s. Keep Warner mind, Brothers. Did not listen to our Wonder Woman 1984 uh, review. There was there was some big discrepancies between Josh and I, at least, that, that it did not capitalize on the 80s setting for the soundtrack and i had the same thought josh that you did that it was one of my first notes this is how you do a fucking 80s soundtrack for a movie this was great to be fair they had access to five more years of the 80s to be historically accurate 89 (laughs) and wonder woman's 84 i mean that's half a decade so only only two songs occurred from 1980 to 1984 (laughs) yeah i'm not defending wonder woman that's it with you let's not so all right, so I I really leaned into this. Um, I tried. I, I mean, well, it, 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 the 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 contrast to Wonder Woman eighty four also didn't help that this movie too leads off with Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. So it like which was in the promotions for Wonder yes. Woman nineteen eighty four. So that could not have been more stark. Um, so I went really kind of deep dived as much as I could on the composer. So Tyler Bates is someone that we've been talking about a lot recently without me really realizing it he was the composer for watchmen oh i was gonna say i think doesn't he do some of the fast and furious too he might i didn't jot those down in my notes but this style of scoring um not really like the the orchestral score and stuff but the style of melding pop music into certain kind of movies he has a really big resume in um he like i just said he was part of Zack Snyder's Watchmen. He's the composer on Guardians of the Galaxy one and two. Oh, uh, that I did know too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he 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 continued uh with uh this director over to Deadpool two. Um, 
not maybe as much with the pop culture, but just for fun fact, he is the composer on Netflix's Punisher seasons. Um, yeah, okay. And he also continued to work with the other guy from John Wick, and he's done that trilogy for them. Um, a little fun Has fact. Has he done other Marvel movies? He I worked feel like with I've Zack Snyder, Ian, on Sucker Punch. Yeah, he's worked with Snyder a couple of go. times. Um, I think specifically things like, again, like putting pop music together in movies helps you know, stands out much more in these other ones. Um, but uh, he was also uh, the lead guitarist and main co-songwriter for Marilyn Manson for a couple of years, too, which Ooh. I thought was just interesting. Like, Weird, recently, like yeah. 20, 2015 to 2017, 18, he was, like, on two of the albums and the touring guitarist. Um, so, dude is legit. He's got he's got stuff. Um, he, he also worked on Pornucopia, Going Down in the Valley. Just a note. PG porn. Everyone has to start somewhere. I I have no idea what that is, but it's a thing. It's on. (laughs) Um, so other other than those quick points, I will say that they they actually pick up Blue Monday again about maybe twenty twenty five minutes into the movie, and it's this different um kind of arrangement. Again, and for a moment, I actually thought, oh, wait, did I forget? Is Blue Monday sort of the motive used of this movie? And it made me think of how much um, Beethoven is used in Die Hard. And it pops up like 15 times in Die Hard in different ways. And I then like I, I get disabused of that because it doesn't show up again. It's only twice. But again, the, the way that it's interweaved in to the scenery is is just so good all around. Um, the, the, the one good choice of sound that I'll really also call out is the fact that during that whole fight in the stairwells during the protest parade, when she's trying to get, um, the, uh, the, the informant out of the building and whatnot, there's no sound. There's not a song. There's no score. And actually the, the absence of, of sound whether that's his choice, you know, in collaboration with the director, whoever, like, that was a really good move, I think. So just all around, both score and soundtrack, 18 thumbs up for this. I I think it was a good choice. I think they did well. Um, I And I think maybe the proximity to discussing Wonder Woman and our disappointment with that soundtrack made this better than it actually is in my own head. Possibly. Um, because I, I did make one note that bugged me about it is that pretty much everything that they used is already overused in movies. I feel like I've heard and, you know, seen scenes with the same songs they used countless times before this, even. I mean, it's not like they could have new music. It was from the eighties. No, but I'm saying they could use lesser used music. You know what I'm saying? Like they could use lesser, less common things to hear. You know what I mean? We get 99 Luft Balloons, you get, you know, Blue Monday's been overused recently. Um, in pretty much just like every instance, I was just like, well, I, you know, except for that reorganization on Blue Monday was like something I've heard before, feels like a thousand times in a movie. Um, that would be the only knock on it. The reason you hear them so often is because they're good songs. So there's a, <laughs> you know, a give and take with that. Uh, Andy, you want to chime in? Uh, I think they did a really good job um, of taking the 80s songs and putting them into places in the movie that they fit. 
Yeah. If, if that makes sense. I, I think I feel like their placement of their, their chosen songs was very good. Um, that being said, I, I not off the top of my head, I can't remember any actual theme to the movie aside from 80s songs. Yeah, that, I feel like just, I remember. Just a note, I can't remember any sort of like that's the Atomic Blonde theme. Like, uh... yeah, I know there's there's some score behind the the licensed music, and I remember liking that music that I heard. But like you said, I don't think there was a recognizable like this is a theme that's coming back and forth. It's just like moody synth stuff, right? Which works for the movie. I was digging, but nothing recognizable there. I was definitely drawn more towards the licensed music. Um, Ian, what do you got? So Josh mentioned about them playing Blue Monday twice. So this movie did a lot of things with the number two. A lot of things appear twice. 99 Left Balloons is played twice. David Bowie appears, like, his songs from David Bowie are on there twice. So a lot of things with two, not just in the soundtrack. And I'll get those in the other category. So it was interesting to note how they mixed in that duality throughout the film. Not just in song choice, but in other choices they made, too. Which really, I thought, brought that together. I didn't notice it in my first viewing. It's something I noticed here in the second viewing when I'm, you know, looking for more things that I'm not just, like, zapped in. So I thought that was really cute of them to do. I really enjoyed it. Um, I know we mentioned, like, the Andy mentioned the song placement just worked really well, and I think that also stands out, like we said, with Watchmen. That was all done really well, too. So, and you know, another comic book film, another guy who worked with the greatest director of all time <laughs> doing the same song. So I think he really learned a lot from his time with Mr. Snyder. <laughs> Andy, I did not pick up on the repetition of those things, in, like, coming in couplets. Um, did... Even though the even though the even now that you're saying it, it's not necessarily striking me as having any additional significant meaning. Though, do you think there was one behind it? I feel like you said Andy, but I'll answer anyway. Yes, um, you did. I was like that. I, I, I don't know. I have had too many tacos tonight. <laughs> um, I don't know if there was a deeper meaning behind it because I think the overall thing I noticed first with it was um, the fact that she always wears black and white until like the penultimate scene those two color choices good and evil so I think it's just they were doing twos a lot in a sense that I think it's just a reoccurring thing that happened I don't know if there's a deeper storytelling meaning to it I think it's just maybe a theme they filled with you know the good side bad side east west Berlin hmm. stuff like that I don't know if there was necessarily a hey guys the number two is our version of 23 <laughs> <laughs> and even, it was yeah. a movie about double agents too I mean yeah even what you guys just came up with I couldn't have breached if like I had to do a dissertation on this so that's that's great <laughs> like the mech like the, the Machiavelli quote was about you know it's double the like double the fun to deceive the deceiver you know it, it is played around mm -hmm. with the two a lot yeah I, I until you mentioned that Ian I did not that went over my head too so that's a good observation yeah like no because like the, um, the one guy says the you think you're good at the spy shit I'm better twice that rush KGB guy says it twice yeah that's right like, it's just, things happen in twos a lot in this, I noticed. I feel like the the one song, there's two songs for me that I think stick out in the soundtrack. Like, uh, Flock of Seagulls, I Run, Come On, right when she's trying to run away, which I was like, this is perfect, I'm digging it, let's go. And the fucking George Michael song that they pick when they're getting ready for a fight scene, I don't know why, but I was like, this is fucking great. I love this. It fits I so really... well to that scene for some reason for me. I really like they played London Calling when she was going to like Paris. 
Yeah. yeah that was just, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Like, <laughs> right on time. Yeah, look Hell at that. Yeah. Ten minutes. Good job, guys. The last little note I will leave you with, uh, just because I love this song, um, Tyler Bates co-wrote a song called A Job to Do with Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains for the John Wick 2 soundtrack, and you should go check it out because it's amazing. I will keep that in mind. Uh, Mike, where would you like to go out of what's left? Direction, story, actors, characters, explosions, special effects? Um, I, 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 Let's just go to explosions since I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, discussion to be had okay. there. Special effects explosions. Ten minutes on the clock. Go ahead. Um, was there any like technical explosions here? No, there were none. So okay. it gets a zero out of ten. <laughs> right. That's what I was going to say. I know we're at a zero out of ten explosions because there was none. Um, in terms of special effects, the makeup, uh, for Charlize Theron and like the damage she had done to her. You know what I mean like when she's like dropping herself into the bath of ice at the very first scene in the film, it's like, damn, they did good. It, it looked like somebody had been brutally beaten. It looked real. Um, I mean, other special effects, I mean, car crashes are car crashes. Fights looked good. I didn't notice any problems. Um, when the guy gets jabbed in the face with, I guess, the keychain. Hell yeah. Whatever that is. That looked fine. Um, by fine, you mean disgusting? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it didn't look fake. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't look. You weren't like, "Hey, there's that extra skin there they inserted." In. <laughs> right. You're like, "That's in a man's cheek. That's pretty nifty looking." <laughs> wow, he's really taking it like a fucking champ. Other, unlike the neck guy who's pissed off the whole film because his <laughs> neck's a little creepy. Yeah. I, it, I mean. I don't know. Did they really do any other major special effects here? That I mean, it was mostly just practical, and the effects worked. Um, I guess they had to screen print the Jordash logo. Uh, other than that, Andy, you gonna segue? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, segueing off of his uh, car crashes or car crashes. I really loved the special effects of her getting knocked into the river with the informant. Oh, I thought yeah. they did a really good job of them being underwater, like struggling to breathe and trying to get out of the car. I thought they did a really good job on the special effects on that part. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't feel like they were just in a deep pool. On no, a yeah, you actually were like, wow, like they're pretty uber fucked right now. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like how's she gonna get them out of that? And then you're like, oh, she's not. <laughs> I think that I think the movie does, and maybe it's I don't know if it goes more with like direction but i think there's a lot of instances in this movie that just feel very visceral yeah like sort of like mike was saying with the the makeup for her looking at charlie's being just beat the hell up like you just feel that from looking at her the the car crash in the water you feel that when you're under there with them the fight scenes that happen you feel those punches especially the one josh mentions where there's no music whatsoever it's just them fighting like that it just leans into that visceral nature of like what it would be like to be in these situations and they did that with the car crashes too. Like they would have that slowed it down, no sound playing other than the crash itself. Yeah. And I did really like during them the one car crash where the car gets fucked by the truck and kind of goes in the air. Like you can see the back axle of the car falling off and shit. And it just like took it to the next level almost of a car accident. Like really seeing this car disintegrate <laughs> from it. You know, like this car, they there's no two takes. 
That car's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's something where, like, they got... It, like, if that was intentional, that's amazing. Or if they just got lucky when the cars mm-hmm. collided when they were, you know, doing it. Who knows? But, yeah, it looked fucking cool. Yeah, $30 million like, budget, you don't get enough to buy a second car to try that stunt again. <laughs> you're, you're one and done. Like, in the the first scene when she gets picked up at the airplane and she purposely crashes the car and, you, you know, she goes to grab that seatbelt, like, you can feel almost that impact of like that that desperation of holding on to it to like not get your neck fucked up <laughs> like i walked away but fucking i hated it this haircut <laughs> <is awful. laughs> so speaking of i guess it's special effects i like the haircuts in this film i thought everyone was <laughs> they did a really good job getting those punk kids to get their fucking hair sticking up at right that's um, true speaking of the that uh crash that you just mentioned ian um when she manipulates the car and then yeah like reaches for the the seatbelt um i am pretty sure i i mean maybe there's a lot of european construction and design that looks similar but that exact crash i it really looks like the same exact spot where the like road chase scene in civil war, civil war. ends when coming out of the tunnel black, black panther, panther and yeah, cap and cap they all tackle each other and then get arrested that looks like the ex- literally the exact same spot i will agree they, they do that a lot though i like i've seen so, things like you might not notice watching different films because it just doesn't occur to you because it's not really brought attention to where they use the same setting as a bunch of other films have mm-hmm. like this person has this really awesome apartment that lends out their apartment for filming and gets paid for it as part of their income because their apartment's so cool, but you don't really notice it because it's not something that they like draw attention to the setting. So yeah, I'd imagine if they find a really cool spot like that underpass, I guess is what it is, or tunnel, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Like I don't remember they're gonna go back to it. I don't remember having like I don't I don't remember observing that or noticing it the first well like the only time I saw it, which was like three and a half years ago. But like maybe because it went immediately from that like you sort of said someone used the word visceral before you know that moment where she grabs the uh i didn't know what she was doing i'm like oh yeah she's trying to manipulate the car she's doing a thing i didn't know what she was trying to do and then she reaches for the seat belt i'm like oh shit like there's <laughs> there's there's so very little safety that this is going to provide her because it's obviously it doesn't seem like it's clicked in or anything but she's just doing the one thing she can and then it hold it, on to something yeah like, it comes and smash, and then I see the scenery. I'm like, oh, man, all that just happened. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I honestly didn't notice that it was the same thing this time, but now thinking back after you brought it up, yeah, seems right. Um, the only thing I would have for, I guess, maybe what I would call special effects is obviously we've, like, we're talking about effects in, in a mer- in much a different way than we have some of our previous films here um, in the terms of, like, stunt and action choreography and whatnot. The... I forget where it starts. Some somewhere in the the parade where she's trying to sneak him out. There's a moment where it at least looks like they constructed a continuous scene. Like from that moment, like the moment they walk out onto the street, nearly until the time that they drown, that he drowns in the river. And I know there's like cuts hidden in there and whatnot. Yeah. But the way that it's made to look is just like you're just following them nonstop. Like there's no cut in the moment to take you from one moment to another. 
Um, I, feel yeah, like I think I didn't look for that direction. for direction too. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely like the same thing. But with all of the coordination that that would have taken from the like the car chase to the to the to the building fight to falling in the river, like all that, that I mean, I mean, there's definitely like some you know effects work in there that needed to bring that all together. Yeah, because traditionally speaking, especially for something that's like you know thirty million dollar budget, there's not a, a like the CG special effects we're all used to talking about in movies like this. They're not really there, and if they're there, they're used for the stuff Josh is talking about, which is hiding cuts that are in the movie. They're they're using the computer to hide the cuts to make it look like one big long take. Um, and and I think you guys already made the comment too that there's no explosions, so there's nothing really explodes. So special effects wise, from what we're used to talking in all these comic book movies, isn't readily apparent. You really have to like look for this stuff in this movie. Which it's had a better building on fire than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, don't you, man! <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just trying. You every know, time he, he brings it around every time all right well that's it anything uh final thoughts for special effects nothing i just was thinking about like she had all that makeup on to look hurt and then she had to go put makeup on to cover it up to go to her meeting <laughs> i just was like that that was a funny thought to me like, <laughs> i'm sure that's not how they did it you know but it's just like they put all that makeup on and then she's got to put on like two more layers <laughs> to cover it up <laughs> That so might she, be how they did it. I don't know how they would do be, it. I yeah. mean, they certainly didn't well, actually beat the hell out of her and then over. put makeup on her. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, she's not a character actor, so. <laughs> um, all right. So, Andy, where would you like to go next? Um, I suppose we will go with uh, characters and actors. Okay. Ten minutes on the clock. Go ahead. Uh, Charlize Theron, obviously, was very good in this. Um, she... Played her part very well. She, her accent was good. Um, she kicked ass. She, you know, did a very good spy role, in my opinion. Um, McAvoy, obviously, was also very good. As sort of like an unpredictable, didn't know where he was going sort of a, a thing. Yeah. Um. Sort of hated him, you know, but I think that's like what what they wanted you to sort of hate him because he was just so chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought the uh, I can't remember Spyglass, the guy who played Spyglass, was yeah. uh, um, very good as sort of like that very humble, like just want to save my family role. Eddie Marson. Yeah, I was gonna say I think I missed him when I run down the cast. He's one of those like British actors who's in so much. Yeah, small roles in a bunch of stuff. Pick him out, yeah. He's what people call like some of those actors. Like I'm sure in England he's probably considered a bigger deal than he is here, I would guess, because he's been around forever. But he feels like one of those like glue actors, like you know, ligament actors. Like he whenever he's around, like cohes, you know, everything. Yeah, else what's together. uh what's a Ron Howard's brother? Clint Howard. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Who's just in everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, then... Well, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say that that guy I always remember from The World's End. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It always what he reminds me of when oh, I see him. I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, the only other thing I can say about... Um, I didn't care for... And he was in it for a very short amount of time. Is the, the character that the KGB kills in the beginning. Before you even meet Charlize. 
I just mm-hmm. I think that that whole scene was really I don't know unnecessary. It didn't really carry much weight to me through the movie. I don't know if they were trying to connect dots there, but I didn't I didn't really see him aside from um Percival being in a picture with him that she finds later. Yeah, that's I mean I think that's true. supposed to be who she was like with or close to. Like that was like her signal that's the kickstart I think for her, right? Cuz she had a picture of them together and she sets it on fire at the beginning of the film. Yeah. But then aside from that and the picture with him, you don't really get a whole lot of other Well, I think that's part there. of the story kind of because then you're like well was she only with him for information like she was with the kgb guy or were they both triple agents yeah like there were yeah there were too many questions in my mind about (laughs) that and why it was there then i think it was kind of like then the payoff on flux thing where they just don't explain it and you're like yeah yeah we'll try to loop back around (laughs) to that for story so anything else for for characters andy uh no uh, Ian, anything to go with for characters and actors? So, James McAvoy was great in this, and he actually had a broken hand in this. That's why his character has a cast like throughout most of the film, <laughs> because his hand was actually broken. Really, I did not so know they that. Did a, they did a nice way of just blending that into the characters. That's also not in the comic book originally. Like his character doesn't have a cast in that, <laughs> so they just played with it. And it worked really well, I think, in the film. So obviously he also didn't do as many action scenes as they might have had him do otherwise. Charlie's was great in it. I, especially because of how many of the scenes you notice she's having to fight in heels and even with the choreographed nature of it, it's still impressive. Oh, yeah. To like have to, even if you're switching out of them and stuff, that was really good. Billy Skarsgård was like my favorite person in this film. I loved him. <laughs> he reminded me like as a better version of like Sick Boy from Train Spotting, like a much cooler Nod heroin addict version of that character. <laughs> so who did he play in the movie? He was the the her her spy on the inside, that young kid, on like the East German side. His name's Merkel. It was like, like the one her that contact he, on the rooftop. Yeah. Gets him the, the I, fake I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I really liked him. He just he felt correct. I liked his haircut. I felt kind of like if he was been born in England, he would have been like a British shocker hooligan guy. <laughs> but since he's born in East Germany, he's now a spy master. <laughs> I just he did a really good job in this. I think. Um, you know, like, the, the James Faulkner did good at just being a presence, I thought. Like, I was like, yeah, that guy's probably important. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I could see myself, you know, not enjoying, like, having that man as my boss. Um, What was it? Is it, is it Toby Jones was the other British guy in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interrogating her, I, yeah. Yeah, he looked awful, I think, I guess, on per- I just, That hairline killed me. <laughs> I just, I, and then his forehead was massive. It just felt like less I, like a M- MY6 guy and more like your fucking middle management HR person or something. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck. I Isn't think that that's just Toby Jones. Though? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. But, like... I mean, that's me just commenting on Toby Jones' look. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mr. Jones. So, sorry and then, of course, John, Good- John Goodman slayed it, especially the cocksucker stuff at the beginning and at the end. He, it was, he just did a great job all around. Always does. It was... um. Yeah, he's been in great. I really liked him in Red State, too. Just like another kind of different film for him. And this was something fun to see him in and just be like like almost like classic Goodman. I'm just like doing pretty awesome. Like him eating randomly. Like, you want a break, too? (laughs) He's just eating. (laughs) He just did really well with what they gave him. 
Uh, Josh, you want to go take it from there? Uh, I mean, everyone hit a lot of the important points. Um, I don't really know what else there's to say. Um, I don't know if did anyone mention so- Sophia Batella's. So I actually really dug her in this, and I I, I wish she actually had a more. She was integral... the French spy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. I I wish she had a more integral role and a bit more of an expanded role to play. Um, I think if they could, if they had spent maybe like five, six more minutes on like an extra small scene or two. Inter- oh, I know what scene you want extended. <laughs> we all Can they just make that movie. <laughs> uh, you know, like it, interweaving her character's importance to either what Charlize needs to do or finding that like, oh, yeah. Percival had been manipulating her even more. <laughs> and we, and we got that oh, more yeah. like that would have been, I think it would, it would have strengthened it. Um, I think the other thing with her is that I feel like they didn't do enough to show her being like such a greenhorn at the spy game. Correct. Like other than like, yeah, everyone kind of like people made her pretty early, but like she didn't feel completely out of her element, you know, at times, which it just, it just well, would have I like maybe lean into that more. I couldn't tell if that was a bit. Maybe, like if she was just saying that and not actually a rookie. Well, everyone else, I think it, other people had mentioned it too. It, I feel well, like it, she felt like, um, someone who was a, sort of a behind-the-scenes spy, like who had been uh, promoted to a field agent and mm. was new mm-hmm. to being a field agent. Yeah, okay, I got you. Got you. you know what I mean? Like she wasn't used to like the double crossing and, and the action and stuff like that, but she could like wiretap and, and follow people and do all this other like behind-the-scenes sort of stuff. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, like the revelation towards the end where you find out, oh, she took the pictures of McAvoy meeting with the Russian guy, like. That's good to know, but like, yeah, I think her, her, her presence and why it mattered to everybody else could have been strengthened and made the story just a hair stronger had we, I hate to say it, like, had we cared about her more. Yeah. Well, I think it just comes with more time with the character, too, like you were saying. Yeah, I right. More, I more don't, time I don't, with her would have helped, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think you needed a lot. Just a little, you know, like I said, like one, maybe two small scenes somewhere where she's intertwined there. Um, one thing that I came across also is that uh, I think Ian mentioned uh, the the two Bowie songs throughout the, the score is um, apparently they asked, they approached Bowie about having a part in the movie. They wanted him to be a part of it. And like, obviously, this came out in 2017. I think I saw that they started shooting in late 2015 and Bowie passed away like the beginning of 2016 so at the at the time they're getting started he was always like already too far along with his illness i'm sure um and had to turn it down but um just knowing that that could have been a possibility and they thought that there was a spot for him somewhere would have been cool because i don't think they I, my guess is like they wouldn't have asked him to play himself in some weird way like you know hey please please play yourself 30 years ago like he would have been a role and that that yeah. would have been fun to see uh my last call you look like you had something to add Oh, I was just going to say about Sophia Botello that she was very um, distracting um, anytime she was around, and I think that was kind of intentional, and it was played well. Um, like, her, like I feel like her role was, like, over-sexualized a bit, very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, was going to lean into kind of what, they, what Ian was saying about um, her being a greenhorn, is that she may have been 
young and new at it, but she knew the assets she had to use and put them to work to distract people and get them off their guard, which seems to have worked a little bit, but she's dead by the end of the movie, so maybe not as well as she would have liked. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Who hasn't gone yet? Ian, are you up? Did I just do you? Yeah, you've never done me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing track of who I called on now. I think I think it's your turn. So we're down to what direction and story. Left. Direction. Okay. Go for so, it. So I think it was pretty well shot. Like we've talked about the choreography some. I thought like there was the shaky cam stuff kind of with it, but I was able to flow and follow all of the scenes. We've talked about the car chases. They all went well. Like, I I understood what was happening in each little step. Like I said, with the music direction, I thought that was good. Like, this this theme of twos I kept seeing, for me, it just it impacted the movie in a way. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool that they're using something to help maybe tell the story where you just would notice these things happening multiple times, you know. Like, um, then the, the thing with her only wearing black and white, like, these very opposite colors i kind of liked and the only time she doesn't is at the end of the film where she has the red coat on when she happens to be meeting the russians which i think is an early signal where they try and get you off guard thing and she actually does work for the kgb the whole time and then the only other significant use of color there is when she shoots the one guy's head off and his blood perfectly falls in that girl's lips the picture of the girl behind him and like there's just this big blood splatter there. I thought that was just beautiful. Like that was that was the that was, that was amazing. I really I paused there and I just looked at it. And I was like, this <laughs> God. this is the one thing Zach could learn. <laughs> so like I said, like they did the twos thing a lot. I thought um, the fact that the Machiavelli quote played a role on the bookshelf when she enters. That's the only book you can clearly read the title of. Like they made points of emphasis to let you catch along on different things. And then just, like, they showed you that brutality of the KGB where they just beat the shit out of this kid for being a bad dancer. You know, they just absolutely destroy this child because he can't dance. You know, it's just the actual brutality. You feel it coming through, that visceral, like you said, nature of it. And I think it's it's very well directed, and I think we'll get into the story later. Like, it's good material, but the movie was just missing maybe something and i just i'm not sure what that is but i feel like there was a way to take this to another level that a director of the caliber of i don't know maybe a Zack snyder could have brought that out you know always got to end there uh josh what do you got for direction yeah i I mean i'd echo a lot of what ian brought up i i think what the what was what was successful was the 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 composite of everything flowing the story through and breaking it up with certain action sequences when you needed it, keeping the intrigue on who's betraying who, who is trying to find out what secrets, what they're doing in order to find that out from the next person and how they're, you know, how she's untying the knot the whole time. So I think just, I think as, as we sort of characterized um, Wonder Woman, when we talked about it, where we said there's a lot of strong ingredients there but everything together in the recipe didn't maybe mesh as well. Um, I think this this did the opposite. Like all those things together really worked well. And, and I was able to enjoy this. I think no, go, going back to a part of what we were talking about in an earlier topic, um, knowing what the story was now, I found myself enjoying the movie a lot more this time 
just because I knew what movie I was in for. When I first yeah. saw it, I thought I was – I didn't understand that I was in for an espionage uh, spy movie. And yeah. now that I knew that, seeing how everything was put together um, made it seem even stronger. Okay, I got you. Uh, Andy, for direction, what do you got? Uh, being that the, this is the first time I saw the movie, I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again because I feel like there are things that I'm going to pick up on uh, on the second viewing that I, yeah. I probably didn't on the first viewing. Um, it's been a while since I saw like a spy movie, but I thought there was maybe a little bit of um, confusion on my part. Uh, a couple of parts in the movie, uh, like who was doing what and who was on whose side. Um, just a little bit, just like uneasiness as to where things were going and who, who was doing what. Yeah. I feel like when we get to the story, that's what I want to crack open for you as a first time viewer, how much you were able to follow and all that kind of thing. Right. So I, I sort of wish that they did a little, that the direction didn't go full on, like everyone's betraying everyone. It was, it was a little hard to follow first watch. Mm. Uh, Mike. Um, as far as like what's been said already, I generally agree. Um, it was well paced. It never felt like it slowed down. They kept you, you know, it, he, you were able to continue watching without getting distracted. You know, when it was engaging the whole time, which is, I think, important when you're directing to keep a, I mean, fairly long movie, you know. Um, held together for that long because a lot of the times I feel like spy movies can tend to lose you in that third act. You know, yeah. the, like it, the, that's where they start to wane. And um, this only did that a little bit. I would say it didn't really lose anything there for me. Um, the action scenes were well put together, well directed. The chase scenes, same thing. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can't really find any glaring faults in some of, you know, the, the umbrella scene I thought was awesome. Um, a very cool idea. It looked very cool on, on screen and everything. Um, I don't know if that's something they came up with or if it's a scene from the comic that they recreated. I don't know, but it was cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the other thought or shot rather that comes to mind for me is one that is extremely memorable and really well done. I think they do it twice is the transitions they make, um, from one thing to her getting into an ice bath and they use kind of like a, it's, it's kind of a fade cut in at the very beginning of the film when Gascoigne dies into like just a shot of the ice and you don't know what the hell's going on for a second, then you realize it's a person getting into an entire bathtub of ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It was a pretty cool shot. Um, and they do a, a similar thing, getting to Ian's um, twos again later in the film. Uh, it happens again. So, yeah. I mean, all around pretty good on the direction. I'm No complaints. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we talked about, like, the... the 
tone or flavor of the movie, like this dirty neon type of thing. I, I actually got really into, I thought that fit well, especially after Josh was describing the way the comic looks. I think that fits even more, uh, for what I was expecting. Um, David Leitch knows how to direct action. I'll give it to him. Like if you're coming from a stunt coordinator background and, uh, you know, learning choreography and all that stuff and, uh, coming off of John Wick, like that, it's what I wanted from action sequences coming off of John Wick. I think I just expected more of them since this was promoted as a John Wick type of movie. Um, but the ones we got, I thought were really cool, especially the one Josh was talking about in the middle. That's just cut like one long shot, the stairwell fight that leads outside and all that stuff. That was fucking cool. Um, I feel like the one complaint I had after watching the movie the first time, and it's still there for me, I think in this one, and it's a, it's such a nitpicky thing because I can never do what she does. But, uh, in the fight scenes with Charlize, I feel like it doesn't feel as fluid as I wanted it to, especially coming off of something like John Wick. Like, I feel like you can see her counting the beats and the steps in the choreography as she's doing it. It doesn't feel like it's a fluid fight scene. It feels like she's going one and two and three and four. Like there's, there's noticeable pauses in between each move. And it's, it's to me, it's distracting. I don't, again, I can't, like really hammer home on that because it's not something I'd be able to do. I give her all the credit in the world. Cause I think she did a fantastic job with all that stuff that she did. And, but just for me, it's just a nitpicky thing that stands out. So I just, I think I, I think again, coming off of John wick and the way they did action and, and Keanu's fluidness of those motions, that's what I expected for this one. And it just felt just a bit below that for me. Didn't uh, Keanu Reeves have like a, a background of, of like some sort of martial arts. Which could, I mean, I'm sure he trained for all that stuff for Matrix, I know. So right. he might be coming, you know, using all of that stuff. I don't know how much, if she, if, again, if this is her first time doing an action sequence like this and learning this kind of choreography, I give her all the credit in the world because it looks a lot better than anything any of us could do just from scratch. But yeah, I think, again, just, I think it's, I want to blame the promotion. Like it was promoted to me as a John Wick movie and I felt like I was expecting that level of action and stuff like that from it. And just, like I said, it's just, just below that for me. There's a couple different places that I came across uh, looking at the looking up the background stuff that said that personally her and Keanu Reeves actually trained together for their respective movies. Like he was working, he was prepping John Wick too. She was working on this to the point where they would like they were using the same trainers. They were sparring personally oh, nice. sometimes. So like it was that intertwined. Um, the only quick last note I would say is like a small, uh, I'll say juxtaposition, but I, I, I agree with your point, Brian. Um, I also appreciate that there were moments where like that you don't get in John Wick where at the times where like she was hurt, there would just be like 15 seconds of her struggling to get up Yeah, and they took yes. their time with, I am beat to hell and I just fell back against this door and I like it. It it sh- I, and there to be fair, like there's not really moments in John Wick where he gets hurt. Um, sometimes yeah, sh- it's sometimes it's because people aren't hurting him, but other times it's because he just gets up a little too easily. I feel like there there are and maybe they're spread out over. I couldn't tell you which movie they are because they kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. It points to me, but I think there are portions of that where he does kind of get tired and and exhausted. I don't yeah, think it's you, as drawn can... out as what Charlize and stuff did in the in the. Like at the end of the stairwell fight, they're in the apartment fighting, and the both of them are just dragging themselves off the floor because they're just beaten to hell and exhausted. 
And I think that lends to the like the visceral nature that I was talking about too. Yeah. You just feel it by the end of that fight. Well, and I, I think, think part that... of it's like with wrestling, like it's a difference between like how wrestlers act at the end of like a sixty minute match compared to a twenty minute match for the difference between what Charlie's does and what Keanu was doing in his movies. So I think part of it with John Wick is he just kinda like near the end of those sometimes you just you almost feel him shrug it off the fatigue. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and then he moves on. Like you can almost like physically see him shrug it off like, okay, let's go. Well, I think a lot of John Wick too is just like headshot, headshot, headshot. It's not like <laughs> the hand to hand stuff as much. So it's a right. different and, style of fighting. Yeah, and I, it's like it, you almost feel like him dust himself off and head into like the next level, like you're playing right. like a side scrolling yeah. beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, last call. Anything? No, I was just gonna say with John Wick in the third one, you're seeing him just get exhausted from beating the hell out of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just had a stab wound, you know, like closed up, but he's still just beating the hell out of people, and he's tired from doing it. He doesn't really get beat up that much himself. Right. And I, I will admit in John Wick 3, by the time he's on like his third or fourth fight, I think with, with the the Asian twins, I'll call them, like up in the room where he uh, breaks yeah. every glass container one after mm-hmm. the other. Like in there, you definitely see him slowly get tired and beat. And, and so like those moments do exist, but I don't think they happen as prolifically as like this very gritty down on the carpet you know, fight that they portrayed in this film show you. Right. So when, when you had those moments of like, look, we're going to take our time and show you, it's going to take them another minute or so to get up and continue this and, and try to find their strength. Cause they're both just like, they're human beings and they're hurt. Right. right. Yeah. And she's most of the time she's fighting people much larger than her. I don't think yeah. that happens very much for John wick. I, I've only seen the first wick, but. Ah, oh, Andy, you got to wick a lot more, dude. Yeah, I mean, there's a spoiler I could give you that nope. is definitely off on that, but I'm not gonna throw that in here. Uh, all right, last category, story. Andy, we're gonna start with you since you're the first time viewer for this one. So again, sort of where I want to lean into this too is like, I know my first watch, I was came out of this still kind of confused as to like who was doing what and why. Yeah. So I'm curious where you're at with that. Um. It took me a while to like sit and actually digest this movie, and like like I thought about it for a few days afterwards, and, and I probably still don't have it figured out, honestly. <laughs> but um, uh, that's why I kind of want to watch it again, knowing what I've already seen, and like you can maybe not remember scenes that happened that make sense now that I've seen the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it was it was a struggle sometimes to sort of try to piece it together and i felt like instead of enjoying the movie i was like trying to connect dots in my head yeah and it it, dots that i was connecting during like a fight scene i feel like i didn't i wasn't able to enjoy said fight scene quite as much as me like wait wasn't he with her and she was she was doing this and watching him (laughs) and then he was doing that and yeah i don't know I mean, I'll admit, maybe these guys can chime in too, that I think a second viewing absolutely helps. I think I enjoyed this much more a second time through. Agreed. Yeah, even even years later, because I mean, the first time I saw it wasn't in a theater, but it was probably right after it hit rental. And uh, yeah, it, it still was much easier to follow when you knew the outcome. Yeah, Andy, I had the exact same reaction 
as you, not only as we've said multiple times that I just thought I was in for a different type of story. I didn't realize it was espionage, spy thrillers type thing. And then jumbled that with the, so at, at times, definitely the, just the lack of clarity of who's on whose side, who is trying to achieve what at any time. No, I had the exact same reaction the first time. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to watch a movie where you know it's red versus blue instead of like, <laughs> wait, are they red or are they like yellow or something? I don't know. They, sure. they tried to do that with you. So the, one of the other key elements of the black and white was the fact that McAvoy's character drinks like whiskey, that very dark liquor, and she drinks vodka, very light, clear liquor. So that white and blackness playing against each other, where it sets up the whole time you think McAvoy is actually Satchel, but he's not. And you see, like, in the film, like, I, I don't remember if I caught onto this as much, like, her actually framing him with the little tape and editing it all together. But I, I know it is for sure this time. I was like, oh, yeah, here's here's this part, here's this part, where she's actually framing it, and then, you know, kind of playing that inverse, where, oh, the team on the white side's actually the, the bad one. I think the story did well in that sense, like, and it, maybe it's something you catch for a second viewing, but I also think with spy movies, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to not what, know what's going on. They don't need to just tell you everything up front. I think that's part of the intrigue of watching a spy movie compared to maybe a typical action movie is that you're not sure exactly what's going on and you're just flowing through it and trying to figure it out because you're basically supposed to be as lost as um Mr. Forehead is in that, you know, the debriefing. <laughs> you're not supposed to have a clear idea of what, the outcome is i guess i wish i would have known it was more like that when i had yeah. started because i i had the same like oh it's just john wick with charlie's theron <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of vibe in my head and then i'm like watching it and i'm like wait oh shit and, like i have to remember like who's this guy and and, and what he's trying to accomplish and it's supposed mm-hmm. to, yeah so it's kind of funny even four years later you basically had the same first viewing experience that the rest yeah. of us did <laughs> yeah. see the only thing where i felt like it's not even really a story thing where it really I got caught through a loop like how, why did that happen was during that um fight sequence with the stairs and everything and she ends up in that room she shoots like I forget if it's when she shoots the one guy in the head or something but they they have the confrontation at the front door and then the guy comes in and then she's over at the other area with um spyglass and I felt like the the timing that she didn't have enough time to get over there with a bleeding man that was the only time like in this rewatch where I was like you shouldn't be over there. I took you went too quickly. <laughs> but like that's the only one that really stands out to me. Like, like I guess that on the second viewing, I can't, you know, be like, hey, I'm super fucking smart. I knew everything that was gonna happen because you know I literally also saw this like last summer, so it's only been like five six months for me. Hmm. So this is still pretty fresh from when I had seen it the first time. And I, I think it all clicks, yeah, maybe a lot better the second time because you know what's happening, so you can pay attention to like. Why is this person saying that this time? Why is this happening? Because you know the outcome of it. It makes it flow differently. So I, we might chop into some time here to do this, but I, I, I'm starting to think more and more that let's assume someone's listening this far into the podcast that is a first-time viewer like Andy. Who has a good handle on who was on what side and doing what and can try to summarize what the hell this story was? I mean, this is a little bit more in-depth than the 60-second summary. Like... We we figure out by the end of the movie, Charlize is Satchel. So which side was he was she on, and who was she playing against each other? I'm still kind of fuzzy. She's on the Americans, so she so she's CIA. Is, she's well, she's actually all three, but her real job is CIA. That's who she's like, the actual one she's not betraying is CIA. 
So that, she was yeah. pre- that's what pretending to be MI6 and pretending to be KGB all at the same time? Well, mm-hmm. KGB, she was just an asset. She wasn't actually part of the KGB. She was just feeding them information and getting information back. She didn't necessarily... She wasn't a KGB officer or something. Okay, okay. She was working there. And then everyone else is pretty much on one side. Like, the only, I think, other confusing thing is James McAvoy's character meeting with that um comrade Removich. Yes. And he's offering him information to try and keep the Cold War from not continuing. That's his play on it. He's like, well, we have the spyglass. I'm going to get it back to the British. But if I give him some information that they can use, they won't keep coming after it. And we can all get out of here with our heads. That's what he wanted at the end. So that's why okay. it seems like he's playing against his own interest. And his plan screwed if um if Spyglass gets out. Because Spyglass is going to end up with the Americans. And they'll have their own copy of the list. And not just the Brits will have one. That's why he goes to kill Spyglass. Is because he wants it to only the England, Britain has the list. But if Spyglass makes it out alive, the Americans will also have a copy. Because at that point, he knows she's Satchel because he read it. Right. I was trying to figure out, too, is it is he trying to turn her in or, like, sell her out at some point, too, now that he knows that she's Satchel? Well, with Spyglass, he tried to get her killed. They were both supposed to die. Okay. All right. Like, he set that up for them both to die, and that's why he's pissed off about it. Okay. Like, he says that thing to John Goodman. I forget exactly what he says to him where he's clearly upset she's alive Mm -hmm. and john goodman's like i know you are you fucker wait wait till i get this debriefing that'll be some next level shit (laughs) but like that was their whole thing the french lady is just caught up in the mess yeah she's there to try and advance french interests but she's not doing a great of job and then kind of develops these feelings for charlie's and that's why she leaves her the envelope to try and help her but she also knows that um McAvoy's kind of a dick, and like they said, he went feral, you know? He's basically turned Berlin into his own fuck kingdom, yeah. and that's what he's using Berlin for at this point. And then this list is his way to get out. As he said, you can't unfuck something that's been fucked, so he's like, I'm just gonna get the fuck out of here with my list. Oh, see, I was, I think I interpreted, like, he was, he had no intention to leave. I thought yeah, he liked the way things were. That's he my liked oh, he being did, the seller it, of information. But it was ending because the wall was coming down. He read the, the, you know, he read the tea leaves or however you want to say it. Berlin was no longer going to be Berlin. He, okay. He read was, the writing the on the up. wall. Huh? He read the writing on the wall. Uh, that would have been better than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So thank you. That's that gives a little bit more clarification on what the hell was going on. So hopefully that it, that helped set the stage for anyone that was, you know, half as confused as we were. So, I mean, I think it's definitely worth a rewatch, too, if you're confused about it. I think it really does improve on a rewatch, and maybe this time now that I, I didn't notice this, but now you can watch and see if you can count the beats of Charlize Theron during fight scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I admit watching the, the first time thinking, okay, at some point they're setting this up for the reveal that McAvoy is Satchel. He's the double agent. He's the one selling out the people he's supposed to be working for. Um, and... I almost even would have believed that he still, if he himself, there, there's something about it. just before she shoots him, she calls him Satchel. She refers to him as he's alive as Satchel. And he says to her, he replies, oh, that's how you're going to spin it. And if, yeah. if, if that one reply had not been there, even when she goes back to the Russians after that and the, the KGB calls her comrade Satchel. 
I could have thought, oh, she very cleverly took out McAvoy, who is Satchel, made these people believe it's actually her to get in on their good graces. Oh, um, I see. In order to that. But no, I think that then falls apart with, with his line. She, it was her the whole time, but the, after this second viewing, I even still thought by the end, is she really American? Even after all that, is she actually working for the CIA? Like they had put so much doubt. They had like incepted me. And <laughs> I, even by that point, like she works, for, she works for the CIA. She's, but the, but the British think she's a British citizen who's a member of MI6. And she convinced the KGB defectors or whoever they really are that, um, you know, she's an asset. Like that's, that's some multi-layered shit. And I feel like, too, the second time I watched it, you can see when uh, McAvoy's looking at the list, like, you can see him putting the pieces together. He's looking up her name and mm -hmm. all the other aliases that she has. Like, that's something I missed the first time, that he knew from there that she is Satchel and continues to play along with her game the whole rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. But but he is still, like, it, it's so, it, 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 I almost had to pause to think, oh, wait, if she's really Satchel, is she, is, is, is is her execution of him a further cover-up for another end? And, and and my conclusion was no. Like, McAvoy was still double-crossing people. Like, he, he he had still gone, like, off the reservation. Yeah. Regardless if he was Satchel or not. Yeah, I think that, I think killing him was more to cover her ass. Uh, I think, I think it was, but I think he was, it, like, I took it as he, there was still a nefarious um, goal that he had. Like he he was not still like carrying out orders. He was still like he still had his own agenda. Okay, that's how I took it. But I mean, she she kills him because he knows who she is, and she can't have that loose end. See, I kind of like, got the, that's why I got the vibe that Goodman never really cared for Percival, and I almost think that maybe Percival was an objective of hers all along. Oh, certainly possible. See, yeah. that's it. We're going to watch it a third time. <laughs> um, yeah, I was gonna say the the other aspect they tip their hand a bit, but you don't realize it on your first watching. But she has a meeting with Goodman's character in the middle of this movie, in the middle of her recounting all this. That if she's not with the U.S., why the hell would she be meeting with him at that point? I think he tells her like the MI6 well, sent they him called in, him in, yeah, to, and, to get and, in touch with her and to cover that. She still but, continues to talk in a British accent as it's just the two of them standing there. Right, but what I didn't understand was the newspaper that he pushes to her that he that she takes, and she like he gave her a code. He gave her something that MI six didn't know, and it makes oh, sense. Oh, see, at I the didn't end even think it. I saw that and didn't put two and two together. That's a good catch, yeah. Andy. Um, two yeah. though, you caught that. My my only issue I had with the story personally, um, was why are so many spy movies about the spy list. It's the one feel thing like every so spy gives a shit about. Yeah, like, it. so many times in spy movies, we just end up with, like, the knock list, or the whatever list, or the list of all the spies, and we have to go after that, and it just seems like a very heavily used theme. Um, I don't know if I'm a fan of the theme, but its execution here was done pretty well with the focus being on a triple agent, I guess. I feel like I'd rather see Helps. that than like every spy agency or every spy you have a movie based on that suddenly goes rogue. Like the last three James Bond movies, he's gone rogue. Fucking just do your do your job. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's a genre that doesn't have as much room to work, I guess. Like, it, there's not a lot of wiggle room in overall plot. Well, plus, I mean, those stories have been around for a century. You know, just a, a lot spy of modern, stories. Yeah, a lot of modern novels, especially since like World War One. You know, they're they're they've mined a lot of it, so we are kind of left deduced to to some tropes at this point. So, if uh, yeah. if someone figures out how to reinvent it really well, then you know, hey, we'll be in for a treat when they do. That's true. Um, all right, so we're gonna sort of wrap up our discussion for the movie um, around the horn. Does this movie hold up? Uh, and sort of, do you think it ever held up? Granted, it's only four years old, but those are the questions we try to end with. So, Andy, first time viewing, does this movie hold up? Do you think it ever held up? I think it holds up. All right, uh, Mike. Yeah, I I don't have anything more to say. But yes. <laughs> Uh, Josh? Yes, and I, I would actually go as far now as to put it into the underrated and underappreciated category. Nice. Uh, Ian? So, in the six months since I originally saw this, um, so so much has changed with the world, and we're far in a far different place. We're no longer in a world where we're all locked up. We're now in a world where we're all locked up and making millions off of stocks. <laughs> so... This movie really resonated with me when they are trying to tear down the Berlin Wall so that the people in East Berlin can also understand stocks. And that really <laughs> helped me appreciate the film even more. Really trying to timestamp us here for this discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. No one will get that joke by the time this episode comes that's out. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be so yesterday's news. Uh, I yeah, feel I think like... this movie does hold up. I, I would agree. Andy, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I think given some time, I think this movie will be a very good cult classic. Yeah, if it's not already, I agree. Like, is it nothing with it they do because it's a timepiece that ages the film, you know? Yeah. You, c you can't get out aged because it's set in modern times. It just kind of resonates, you know, still. And I think that Cold War era is always going to be kind of popular for spy stuff, especially because you have so many countries involved. It's a very busy time it, it i think it'll work in that sense for a while it could you know yeah and I, I think i think they found a good sweet spot too putting it right like literally on the cusp of the destruction of the wall um a lot of, of cold war era stuff i feel like just ends up happening in the 60s you know it it's, gets centered around cuban missile crisis or maybe like the 70s or it's just it's just very generic um you know, oh, the Ruskies, eh, darn Reds. Eh. But this, like, putting up, you know, side by side with those ending events that that sort of ended the era, right there is is um, it's a point in a point in that timeline that I don't think has been utilized all that much. And and it, it, the, I think what works well for this that that will help give it longevity is that really a lot of what's happening in the story is independent of the rest of that. Like there's still the cold war power struggle and, you know, country against country, et cetera. And those concerns, but this is like, everything else is the backdrop of the story. Yeah. It it's just happens to be where it's happening. It's not dependent on it. Right. Um, all right. So let's finish it up with uh, ratings out of 10. Uh, who 
wants to go first? Mike, you want to go first? Out of 10? Sure. 7.75. All right. Uh, Josh? 7. Andy? I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. Ian? 6. That's, I feel like that was lower than I expected for you. I I like the film, but it it even on the second rewatch, like the beginning of it, it felt average. It felt like yeah, this is fun, but it it really picks up in that second act, or I don't know what act it is. I don't care about that <laughs> shit. It really picked up in the parade scene, like that's when it goes into overdrive, and that's when I'm having a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this film, but it's 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 average. Okay, you know, you it's did... not something. This is no Spawn. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you did mention earlier that you just felt it missed some sort of thing, but you couldn't yeah. put your finger on it. Like I could, I could have given it a seven. Like a six or seven feels right. Sixes comes out of the mouth. Like <laughs> if it had that one other thing, this is probably an eight, but it didn't. And I, I think that's what happens when you don't have that Snyder touch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think yeah, I was still kind of debating where I was going to land with it as far as out of 10. And I think you guys started hitting around where I was, where my gut was telling me to go anyway. So I think, I think seven's a solid number for me. I think I'm going to give it a seven. And again, not that I can really point at anything to be like, this is what sucked, but sort of like what Ian said, it's just, there's it, something isn't there to just put it over the top. It's very good. I will definitely watch this again. Mm-hmm. It's just not like top tier for me. Um, and we were actually sort of talking before we recorded. I didn't realize it until we were talking about it, but this is our 10th rewind theater episode. So I think I'm going to try to put Ian on the spot a little bit here. Um, Ian, do you, can you tell us what everyone's average rating is for the 10 movies we've done so far? Yeah. Like, so, uh, their individual average. Yeah. So Andy with, he has missed two films. So this is out of eight. This does not include Bloodshot and Spawn, which I could drastically alter his scores <laughs> based on everyone else. But his average is literally seven. Okay. Oh, like bad. even. Yeah, his is the only one that has no decimal. <laughs> <laughs> Brian comes in at 5.6. Oof. The third highest of the scores. No, no, sorry. You're fourth highest. Never mind. You're not cool anymore. <laughs> Second lowest. Yeah. Hey, I have no negatives. Positive vibes. <laughs> oh, sure. My bad. Then, then everyone gets comes my the the correct score is where we the average is six point seven two. That's me. Okay. Yeah, six point seven two. Then we have Josh, who just uh, doesn't enjoy good film at five point five three, and then Mike at five point six nine. Nice. Now, Josh's also doesn't include Watchmen because he did, wasn't here. Hey, I gave you a score, and on the <laughs> you got to be chat, on the show. The I cha- didn't hey, include it. I said in the chat that it goes on the spreadsheet. That you said a lot of things. That that's chat, a proxy. None of them ended up on the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Our highest rated film remains Watchmen with a nine point one eight. Josh's score would have lowered that score, but not enough to bump Constantine with an 8.75 into second place. So even with his score included, it wouldn't have changed the difference there. And then this was a tight one. Atomic Blonde finished with a 7.15 for our fourth highest film, which means, unfortunately, the third highest rated film is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at 7.35. We're on the board, (laughs) boys. We're on the board. Even though I gave that my lowest score ever of a 3.5, lower than Bloodshot. <laughs> well, that was another thing I was going to ask, too. What is everyone's lowest rated movie? 
Andy's lowest is Venom with a 4. Brian's lowest is Swamp Thing with a 2.5, which seems absurd reading. <laughs> I stand Mike's, by it. Oh, this is me. My my lowest is obviously Turtles, and then Bloodshot was a 3.7. <laughs> Josh has got... Oh, my God. He has <laughs> three films tied for lowest with fours. Spawn, Bloodshot, and Astro Boy. Mike's lowest is 2.5, and that is Bloodshot. So, Bloodshot sucks. <laughs> An average of 3.43, a full point lower than any other film. <laughs> Alright, so what is everyone's highest rated movie so far? Andy's is tied for... Oh, never mind. His highest is Constantine with a 9. Brian is tied with Watchmen and Constantine at 9. I gave Watchmen a 10. Perfect film. <laughs> Josh's highest is an 8.3, and it's Constantine, higher than Turtles. And then Mike's highest rated film is Watchmen at 9.7. Nice. Okay. He's been getting really into these decimals recently. I don't know. <laughs> you guys don't see the list, so you're not seeing it like I am. <laughs> Solid numbers, and all of a sudden just decimal, 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 it's, decimal. It's fun to give them more decimals to work with. That's. I almost didn't include the 7-5 tonight. I rolled my eyes when you said it. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll try to, maybe we'll, every 10, we'll try to revisit that and see where we land. Just to get get some averages, see what, see what creeps up to the top and the bottom and all that stuff. I think that could be fun. Oh, yeah, that's what I, she said. Hopefully, it will be. Uh, all right, so that concludes our discussion for Atomic Blonde. It is now time to spin the Wheel of Fate. The Wheel of Fate! So, Nailed on it. the wheel, right now, our two franchises, two franchises that are still there, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Swamp Thing. Our four standalone movies right now are Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, Supergirl, The Kitchen was added last time. And added for this one is 2008's Speed Racer. Uh, so I got to get the wheel up for these guys so they can see it. All right, you guys can see the wheel, correct? Yep. Yep. Can you make it bigger? <laughs> no, you ask that every time. <laughs> yeah, the constant no. question. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, the, the wheel is the size that, that it time. is. You got you to gotta deal with it. So I'm pulling for Swamp Thing because I want a new franchise and... I really just want to know what Swamp Thing 2 is. <laughs> I, I, actually, I feel like I mean, our earlier idea of it being against. a shot-for-shot shot remake <laughs> with just an extra Swamp Boat explosion <laughs> would be a better film than what we will see. Is that the only other movie for Swamp Thing? Yes. Yes. Okay. There's two, yeah. Yeah. That's also the reason I would like to see another franchise that's not the MCU get on here so we get a franchise we can also finish on. <laughs> I, I actually agree with Ian. I think I, I would prefer that as well. It brings some... Fresh fun to the wheel. Andy, I'm going Valerian. Valerian. Just not the kitchen. Just, just not the kitchen. Still We're going to have to watch Valerian. it eventually. I kind of want Speed Racer. Lies. Now that it's on there. Did you say lies? I said lies. Uh, I can't see it. There it yes! is. <laughs> yes. Swamp Thing. We're going to finish the franchise. Thing. <laughs> Swamp Thing Part 2. God damn uh, is it. Uh, part 2 or is it just 2? I think, just two. I think it's the swamp, swampiest two. <laughs> Even this, swampier. This, this movie's going to be like a swamp. band-aid. Let's just get it over with and get it out of here. That's that's kind of where I'm feeling right now. Swamp in the thing video two. you put to Facebook, I need you to edit in John Cena's entrance music where he says, I am the franchise, as soon as Swamp Thing's <laughs> picked. John Cena! It's actually called The Return of Swamp Thing. Oh, I thought it was the swampiest of asses. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the subtitle. That's the subtitle. Maybe, that, yeah, maybe that's, that's the, the foreign sub. translation, how it turned out. Yeah, the Chinese subtitle. 
All right. Well, that's what we have to look forward to for the next time. I'm reading the parents guide on the film. No, dear Lord. <laughs> Just are you checking to this see if, there, PG if there's PG-13. The last one was PG edition. and it had boobs in it. So I, well, I got to see if there's a European cut. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's where we're going to end this one before we get too far in the Swamp Thing before we even see the movie. Uh, so if you've enjoyed the show, please support us. Leave a five-star rating and review. Be sure to share us on social media. You can follow, subscribe to keep up with the show. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher, hopefully anywhere you find a podcast, you can find us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, search Bright Guy and Super Friends, or go to facebook.com slash Bright Guy Super Friends. Uh, you can send us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, any of that stuff there. Uh, feel free to email us braggysuperfriends at gmail.com it's live it'll work I won't see it but it's there uh, hit us up on twitter at bgsuperfriends that we'll see uh, next time we go live I plugged it at the top of the show but uh, if we ever do a live show again uh, you can hit us up on twitch for at Jedi Bry Guy. that's where we'll go live whenever we do these recorded on twitch uh, Godzilla <laughs> I'm sorry what, what was it what was that something about Godzilla I think <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, th- there's a good chance if uh, in a couple months Godzilla and Kong might have to be. I've heard, I've had requests for that live show already. From, <laughs> I've had requests for it from the from the one person I know Ian that has really been texting me like, it. "When are you going to go live again? When are you going to go live again?" That's the one he wants to see. Chris, if you're listening, this is for you. Your <laughs> shout out on the episode. I said I'd bring it up. Uh, all right, so that's it for us. On behalf of Andy, Josh, Ian, Mike, and myself, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Shout out, Shipple Nation. I take no.